Last Thursday, scientists at Columbia University published a new study finding that cutting down on calories could lead to longer lives. In the phase two trial, 220 healthy people without obesity dropped their calories significantly, and a test of their biological age showed that their rate of aging slowed by 2-3% to over a couple of years. That may sound small, but it amounts to a 10-15% to drop in the risk of death as the participants get older, basically the same as quitting smoking, according to the researchers. Previous research has shown that restricting calories results in longer lives for mice, worms, and flies. But this research is unique because it applies these findings to people. It was published in Nature Aging. I tweeted Columbia's press release for this study on social media and started seeing what seemed like a lot of good questions popping up about what the study actually means. I had the chance to chat with someone with inside knowledge of the research, Dr. Evan Hadley, a director at the National Institute of Aging, which funded the study. I'm Matt Fuchs, and this is Making Sense of Science by Leaps.org. One thing people on Twitter noted was that cutting out 25% of a person's calories could actually be terrible for health because they could be missing out on key nutrients, especially if they'd kept trying to do that over a longer period of time. But, Dr. Hadley explained, this is a misunderstanding. The goal was 25%. They achieved 12, okay? And the 12 had really substantial effects, even though that's a lot less than the original target. It affected a whole cardiovascular risk factors, metabolic risk factors, uh, you know, age-related inflammatory factors, a lot of stuff. So it had a lot of effects, even with a considerably less degree of caloric restriction than was targeted. The more people were able to reduce their calories, the better they did on the aging test. Even 12% calorie reduction sounds like a lot to me. But the participants didn't have any trouble with everyday functioning, says Dr. Hadley, going about their usual routines without any life-disrupting amounts of hangriness. Everything we've seen is we did not see impairments in function at all. And there were a fair number of psychological tests, and they were either unchanged or improved. I mean, some things seem to improve, some mood measures of mood and other things, and, and, and libido actually as well, kind of actually improved a little bit. It's worth noting here that some people on the caloric restriction study did start having issues, like anemia, more than what was seen in the control group that got to eat as much as they wanted. Whenever these problems popped up, these people went off their diets and the problem quickly resolved. If you're not impressed by 12% calorie reduction, Dr. Hadley said it's possible they could have come closer to the 25% target. The researchers gave the participants guidelines for how much weight loss would correspond to 25%. But it turns out that this guidance was a little off. So even though people met their weight loss targets, they didn't meet the goal for a calorie restriction. Whether people could get to 25% is a question for future studies. It's quite possible that people just couldn't sustain it, but we don't know. This is not like a starvation diet. You know, it's, it, it's so the, the, kind of, the kind of weight loss that we saw in the range that we had for a lot of those people, it was consistent with current guidelines for what the weight ought to be anyway. Although they did lose some bone mineral density. Thinner people have lower bone mineral density on average than heavier people. Anyway, that's known. So they didn't decrease their bone mineral density more than you'd expect for, for a thinner person compared to a heavier person. Nonetheless, if that's a concern or they already have low bone mineral density, it's another thing that they want to be aware of. And was there a comparison between the people who started at ideal weight to the people who started at um, overweight? Yes, there, there's, some, there's, there's some comparisons of that. That's, that. that's an important question, actually. And in general, the, the, the biological effects were bigger in the people who started out at overweight. That, that has not been systematically looked at. 
I asked Dr. Hadley, what about if we had extended the diet past two years? Is it possible people would start developing deficiencies in, for example, their vitamin intake? As far as I know, there wasn't any sign of a, of a, of a downward trend over the two years that it was getting worse. As for reducing their mortality rate by 10%, or possibly even more than that, Dr. Hadley said to take that calculation with a grain of salt. Just one grain, since this is a caloric restriction study. Those are reasonable calculations to do, but there's a lot of assumptions in that. I myself would not conclude that this study shows that 12% is going to do that. You know, you need it, you, there needs a lot more evidence and a longer trial. Bottom line, though, according to Dr. Hadley, is don't try this at home unless you're working with an expert. We were careful to make the diet, though. Know, it's you know, it, what we call it, it's undernutrition without malnutrition. The calorie protocol makes sure they got, you know, the required amount of, of you know, vitamins and other micronutrients and adequate protein and so forth. There were some adverse events, nothing that would make you stop the trial, but a small number of people became anemic during the course of the trial. Again, they were backed off and they, they think maybe with one exception, returned to normal. So it's not something you just want to, if you're going to do it, you do want to be in touch with your, with your care provider. I'm an intermittent faster myself, limiting meals to a seven hour window every day. It's not very difficult as far as my hunger levels, and I'm confident that it's improved my health in several ways. But the big challenge is to plow through meals in seven hours to make sure I get the same number of calories as if I was eating over a longer time window. That's, of course, a different approach than what was studied in this research, cutting overall calories. Still, I couldn't help but ask Dr. Hadley if the study points to any benefits for what I'm doing, intermittent fasting. You know, they may have some similar effects to caloric restriction. They may have, you know, other effects, good or bad. Well, so much for that. Another question I saw on Twitter was, how could these scientists possibly figure out whether restricting calories over a pretty short period of time was increasing people's lifespans? Some background on so-called aging clocks is probably helpful here. Instead of just going by chronological age, these aging clocks look at age by measuring various changes that happen in our bodies over time, including chemical changes that affect how our genes get expressed, to a greater extent, it seems, as we get older. These epigenetic clocks were originally developed by Steve Horvath about a decade ago, and he and others have done a lot to improve them over the years. Although there's still no gold standard for aging clocks, some scientists in the field of aging are using them as important metrics in their research. The research team used three tests to figure out how fast people were aging. One of them, Dunedin, was developed in-house by the Columbia scientists, and it showed that the ages of the participants did go down, suggesting they were getting younger. The other two tests did not show any improvement over the control group. One critique that I saw on Twitter was that this study seemed like the Columbia researchers trying to advertise their own test, which has been licensed to be sold commercially in the private sector. It seemed a little too coincidental that their own Dunedin algorithm picked up on the changes in aging, while the other tests did not. But, Dr. Hadley told me, there are legitimate reasons to explain why Dunedin worked better. It's a, it's a measure that captures the rate of change at the time that the measurement was made. That means the Dunedin test is like a speedometer, whereas the other two tests of aging are like an odometer, telling you how many years you've already got on your gauge. Researchers can't really track people over the entire course of their lives, and this study was just two years long. So the speedometer seems like a better way to measure if what you're doing is actually having an effect. Another plus of using the Dunedin clock is that it was developed based on previous data on health changes that tend to occur in younger people, in their early 20s up to their mid-40s. That was basically a direct match to the ages of the people who participated in the Columbia study. The other two tests were based on risks that you tend to see pop up in older people, so they might not be as relevant, said Dr. Hadley. 
No, they're, they're different tools for different jobs. And that could be key because, at least based on research in animals, restricting calories may have a bigger effect on slowing down aging when people start doing it relatively early in life. Dunedin Pace really adds a measure that's very valuable for the kind of age range for studies on interventions that start relatively early in life. And those are an important class of interventions for humans. You know, there's been a lot of focus on intervening in humans once they already get old. And of course, that's important too. You'd like to be able to fix things up, you know, but there's also a class of interventions that may be really more effective if you start them early and head adverse changes off before they happen. And, and for example, most of the literature on caloric restriction, which calorie was in animals, shows that it really has um, much more effect begun relatively early in life than if you try to do it later. Now, in humans, we don't know. But there is there is a case for looking at interventions that will slow down aging changes over the lifespan. They have their own set of challenges, but uh, calories is, is an example of, of that kind of intervention. Of course, it's still extremely important for other researchers without any connections to Dunedin to replicate this finding. And the National Institute of Aging is on it. As we speak, they're planning a five-year study. The NIA, by the way, has two planning projects in place right now for five-year trials of CR. And and they're designing those trials. Now, one in younger people, like the calorie study, one in older people, uh, you know, over age 60. And one of the big issues that they're working through is how much CR to ask for. That'll generate more objective evidence about you know, pace of aging from actual change over a period long enough so you can see what's happening. That is, five years ought to be able to get some of that. Ideally, it's even more. But we're kind of, the strategy has moved to kind of move forward in careful steps. You know, first two years, then five years, and then we'll see what happens with that. Dr. Hadley said that this study could start in less than two years. Many thanks to Dr. Hadley for walking me through this study. I'll be posting the conversation on Twitter, and hopefully it helps people understand exactly what the research set out to achieve and what it shows. Thanks for checking out the Making Sense of Science podcast. If you like the show and you want to hear more from the best thinkers of our time to help make sense of the latest health innovations and their impacts, please hit the follow button. And in the meantime, visit our online magazine at leaps.org, where you can read in-depth articles that explore health breakthroughs through the lens of rational optimism. Thanks for reading, listening, and most importantly, thinking about what you find on leaps.org.